This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith in a culture against faith. What's up, man? Not much, man. Happy to be here. Happy to be uh, recording again and getting to create some content. Yeah. So we're talking about politics today. We're starting our series on politics. Yeah. I'm a... I'm excited. You know, I always, I don't want to let, you know, somebody come in and and lobby for a certain side on any kind of church platform. Uh, And as nonprofits, we're not allowed to. But uh, I think that's went too far to the point that we don't talk about politics at all in church. Like, that's just dumb. Yeah. Why wouldn't we talk about how being a Christian shapes the way that we view politics and the things that we sure. uh, put our name to, put our values to? So I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to talk about politics. I'm excited to uh, challenge some people. Yeah. Not I'm not necessarily excited to rustle feathers, but uh, uh, I'm excited to challenge people and make them hopefully think about these things a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so I know that this is probably creating a lot of anxiety for our listeners right now. (laughs) Yeah, probably so. I I want to go ahead and give you a nice calming word. I really hope that this does not offend you and, um, it really shouldn't because we're talking about Jesus in scripture, right? Um, we're not going to be bashing one side or the other. Um, when it comes to the political arena, we're legit just talking about Jesus. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's why we titled this episode, Was Jesus a Republican or a Democrat? Because, you know, a, as corny as it is nowadays, uh, to some extent, we should be living our life through the question, what would Jesus do? Absolutely. Um, and so to frame it this way, it's important to remember that we're not just being speculative here. We're, we're making conversation about Jesus and scripture in light of politics. Yeah. So um, when we talk about this idea of was Jesus a Republican or a Democrat, um, at, at some level, when, when you look at the Gospels, there's elements of both, right? For sure. Um, so um, when, when we look at the elements of both, what you end up finding is some sort of a synthesis, correct? Um, yeah, to some extent. I think the hard part is we see Democrats representing values that Jesus represented, and we see Republicans representing values that Jesus represented. But what ends up happening as Christians is we end up picking one mm-hmm. and... Uh, to some extent, what ends up happening is not only do we pick one, uh, whichever one we don't pick, we loathe the sure. other category, right? So that means that we these other values that that party holds to that Jesus supported and valued, mm. we ourselves end up throwing out, right? And we just don't care about them anymore, right? Which is a massive problem. Yeah, for sure. Um, it definitely. It definitely means that we're only living out of partiality of the kingdom of God. Right. 
So something else that we we've we talked about in the intro, and I don't know, we haven't talked about it yet on this episode, but um, that that we take scripture, or we we take our politics and apply it to scripture, right? Yeah. So we we, we look for the things in scripture that support what what we want to believe politically, rather than the other way around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. What ends up happening is, is we grow up, and as we grow up, we begin to formulate ideas about society and culture and the world. Yeah. Um, and that can be geographical influences, that can be media influences, that can be mentors, it can be what college you went to. Sure. It can be a number of different ways about how we formulate that, that worldview. But somewhere around the age of 18 to 22 you begin to form the foundation of your, or you kind of settle on the foundation of your worldview. Around the time that you should start voting. Yeah, 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 about. I mean, you kind of start having those conversations and kind of start formulating it earlier. But then this kind of major thing happens when you hit 18, you you go to college and your world is kind of rocked. Uh, Or if you don't go to college, you enter the workforce and your world's kind of rocked, right? But your life really changes at 18. And those first four to five years after that really help you settle on what your worldview is going to be. And so what happens is most people, they formulate that worldview uh, based on culture, the media, people around them, what the people they respect are saying, all those kinds of things. And... Maybe you're a Christian, but you bring those to the text, right? right? We're reading an ancient document in scripture. And so it's really easy to approach scripture through kind of 21st century Westerners eyes. Mm. Um, and the only problem with that is it's not a 21st century document, right? Right. We, we should probably be reading it as an ancient document, looking for the context, looking for the things that are happening in the original uh, author's mind, but I guarantee you, Matthew did not have a Google to consult. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He doesn't have Google to consult. They don't all have running water. They don't have internet. I mean, they don't have social media. They don't have pictures, television, radio. I mean, all these things that we have, they just don't have. We wonder why they're all their parables and all their stories are agrarian mm. because they're an agrarian society. Right. Like they're, they're not modernized. They haven't been through the industrialization yet. Like they don't have any of those things, which means that a lot of the problems that they face are very different. Yeah. Um, and so what ends up happening is if you are a Christian and you're formulating that worldview, you end up formulating that worldview largely outside of scripture yeah. because you may think scripture is irrelevant to those conversations. Right. Or for a lot of people, and this has been the experience in, in my world of ministry. Um, you know, most churches are doing their most baptisms with people under the age of 10. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been my experience. Most of the baptisms that I've done have been adults or older adolescents. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I did a lot of youth ministry. um, So I've baptized a lot of, you know, 17, 18 year olds and baptized a lot of young adults, baptized, you know, middle-aged people. I mean, I've done, I've only 
you know, I don't think I've baptized a child. I haven't baptized a child. Mm. Never, not once. So what ends up happening in those situations is they've, they're already firmly rooted in their worldview. Right. And then they have scripture that they try to lay over the top and they just realize that it, it like, it, it's not a, it's not a pretty picture. It doesn't fit. Um, right. The, the color palette's different. Uh, we're working with square frames and circle frames. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a radically different world now. And so what ends up happening is we, we have to try to create some level of unity within these and they just don't work. Yeah. I mean, the gospel, the kingdom of God is countercultural. Sure. And so if you come with a cultural worldview that especially in America, that's built upon power and influence and wealth, and you bring that to the gospel when Jesus is quoting, quoted saying, the last will be first and the first will be last. You're going, okay, wait, the, these two things are not the same. And so how do we do this? How do we, um, formulate these worldviews side by side? Well, we don't. And so we just end up throwing pieces of each out. Right. Which is a problem. Yeah, for sure. Because what ended up happening is, we end up looking more like our political party than we do like the gospel. Yeah. Um, because to some extent there's, you know, each party has elements of it that I think we could point to and say, Oh, we see that in Jesus. Right. Um, but to another extent, we end up because we don't want to associate with the other party we end up just ignoring those other elements as gospel issues um, for the sake of party unity, Mm. uh, which means that we end up being Republican or Democrat more than we're Christian. We're, we're not Christians who are Republican or Democrat. We're Republicans or Democrats who are Christians. We're our primary identity is in the political party rather than our primary identity being in the the kingdom kingdom of of God. God. Yeah. Yeah. We're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. Yeah. It, it's funny because if you think about it, when you mix red and blue together, what do you get? You get purple. And what is purple? Color of royalty is Jesus' color. Of color of royalty. Yep. Um, so what we're kind of saying here is that if you are a hardcore Republican or if you are a hardcore Democrat, that's cool. Yeah. But you need to be able to not just point to scripture that, that supports what you believe, but actually like explain what I'm trying to say a little bit better. I, I'm trying to formulate yeah, what I'm I think. I think what you're trying to say is that the way that we've been handling it, where we take our primary color as red or blue and we just deal with that color, yeah. uh, we're leaving out the goodness of the other side. Right. And so what happens when we do that is we're, we're not becoming who wholly what we should be, which we should be transitioning into being purple where our worldview is the kingdom of God. Right. Uh, We never get there because we never have that last blue or red influence to get us fully there. Yeah. That's exactly what I was trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think, um, I think that's, it's really hard for people. Yeah. Um, and I think we should, or I'm going to at least go ahead and tell you, um, I'm neither. 
Um, Me too. I don't like the two-party system, so I always vote third party. Um, and so I, I can look at both of these and be critical of each because I identify with neither. Mm. Now, that's not to say that my third party that I align with is fully, yeah, is fully there, but it is to say that I'm trying my best in the way that I know how to be purple rather than identifying one way or the other. Um, because in the, the two party system, it's just become about who has the most power and who has the most money. Absolutely. Um, and so all of our agendas kind of hit upon that. Um, to another extent, I think with that, we put people in office who are in positions of power and wealth. I mean, 1% of the population is, you know, holds most of the, the money. Right. And most of that money is inherited. Right. So it's like, okay, the, the rich just remain rich. The, the wealthy stay on top. Um, there's no distribution of wealth in that, in that way. Yeah. Um, so I think just to clarify for everybody, um, that's why I'm neither. Right. Uh, cause I, I can just imagine our listeners going, well, which, which one is Cullen? Which <laughs> one is Clayton? Right. Yeah. The answer is neither yeah. um, for both of us. Um, and I'm going to quote, um, Joe Jorgensen, the, the libertarian presidential candidate 2020. Um, she said that it, it's hard for her to support either side because, neither side is acting like their side, right? Republicans oh, aren't fair. acting like Republicans and Democrats aren't acting like Democrats, right? Yeah. Wait, yes, I said that correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a lot to that, right? Yeah. To some extent, now I would say, I would go ahead and add to Joe's statement that even if they were... It's still a terrible system. Yeah, a two-party system still has problems. So I couldn't... I couldn't identify with either anyways. Right. Um, now, truth is, anytime you identify yourself with anything, you put yourself in a category. Sure. Right? The only reason my idea gets gets the point across is because nobody considers the third-party candidates as actual candidates. Right. And so when you say you vote third party... They laugh at you. Well, it's not necessarily <laughs> that they laugh at you, but you can actually say I'm stepping outside of the box. You, you right? Can, if, if, if there was a viable third yeah. party, you couldn't, you couldn't vote the way that I do and go, okay... This right. makes sense because you're just you're actually making a vote that has a chance to make a difference. Right. Whereas us and specifically where we live, I mean, we're in Texas. We all know how Texas is going to turn out all the time. Yeah. Um, it's a Republican state. And so, you know, it's just how it is. Yeah. Um, bleed red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so. This next series, these next several episodes, we're going to talk about um, a few different aspects of Jesus and, and a few di- different aspects of Scripture that support both sides. Um, yeah, I think I think we should maybe go ahead and introduce a couple of them here yeah. um, just to kind of show better what we're saying. Um, so, for, for instance... Um, in Matthew 25, we have the parable of the talent, mm. which is, if you don't know the story, uh, you can find it in Matthew 25, uh, and I'll just recount it very quickly. Uh, there's a, an owner 
and he owns some slaves or some servants and he's going away for a while. And he says to one of them, I'm going to give you five wages to another. I'm going to give you two or three. And then to another, I'm going to give you one. And as the story goes, they all go and do something different with it. Mm-hmm. So one goes and invests it. One goes and, and buys something and, and uh, gets a return on it. Another goes and buries it in the ground. Doesn't do anything. When the master returns, the one who had five gives ends up giving him ten. Right. The one who had three ends up giving him six. And then the one that had one that buried it in the ground just gives him the one back. And dude, is he angry about it? He's like, you should at least went and put it in the bank and I could have got interest. Mm. Right? So what happens? He takes it and gives it to the one that had 10. <laughs> All right? So at surface level, and I've heard a lot of people, mm. um, we won't categorize them, but heard a lot of people look at that text and go, see, that's capitalism you don't do anything with your money, right? Or the people who do do something with their money get more money. Right. The ones who don't do anything, they don't get anything. Yeah. And so they look at that text and go, oh, well, that's capitalism. Right. Maybe at surface level, you can make that argument. Um, but really, that's talking about the gospel. Right. Right. Jesus is upset in that parable someone is holding the gospel message for themselves, burying it in the ground and just keeping it for themselves until the master returns, which is Jesus coming back. Right. You didn't do anything with your faith. Right. You just lived a life of faith, but kept it for yourself. You didn't share that message with anyone else. And and on the other side of that in Acts 2, right, we have this idea of they have all things in common, right? Yeah, the common which, purse, which is very Marxist. It, it, it sounds uh, very, very yeah. Marxist, right? Um, and that's an argument that a lot of people use for socialism. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. But in reality, I think it's more about sharing community, right? Um, yeah. It, it's not about sharing wealth. Maybe there's some of that in, in, in community, but it's not about the common purse. Right. Yeah. Well, they're in that text specifically. They're selling all their possessions and giving to anyone that has need. Right. So it, it kind of is about the common purse. Mm, I, I mean, think cause, so because they're not keeping anything from themselves. Right. They're selling all their possessions and giving it. I mean, it, it really is a, a truest form of socialism. Mm. Um. So to some extent, it is about the common purse. Mm. It's about everybody's needs being met. Mm. Now. To some extent, that breaks down because what happens when there's no more possessions left to sell? Right. Right. We never get the end of that story, but at least that's how they're expressing their faith. Right. In that time. But so in, in that example, you you have it both ways, right? You can go, well, we see both examples in scripture, right? You got right. the parable of the talents, which is capitalism, or you got over here, you got the common purse. Mm. It's like, okay, what do we do with this? Another very general example of where we see this dichotomy uh, would be in the issue of being pro-life. You know, so we as Christians would say that all humanity is made in the image and likeness of God. Right. So there's sanctity in human life. And so what ends up happening is a lot of people end up saying that they're um, pro-life, which would be a Republican 
kind of uh, stance, but they're really not pro-life. Right. Most of them are just anti-abortion. Absolutely. Right. Pro-life issues would also temper down into issues of capital punishment. Right. Right. So the, I mean, the answer that everybody says is, what? Well, why is abortion wrong? Well, you're killing an innocent life. Mm. Or to another extent, what we're really saying is that if God is the author of life, who is humanity to take it away? Right. Right. Well, in the same way, humans are taking the life of people when we can, when we do capital punishment. Right. And so there are elements on that side that are democratic, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, pro-life issues would extend to immigration. They would extend to proper health care. Right. Uh, because it's a, it's a pro-life issue that there are people without health care that need health care. Sure. Right. It's a pro-life issue. Um, to some extent, to some extent, a lot of the democratic, uh, agenda is pro-life issues. Right. We just don't call them that, but anything it's, it's about the, the sanctity of human life. Yeah. So as yeah. Christians, if we believe that there's value in being made in the image of God, the issues that directly affect the person, the image of God, uh, are pro-life issues. Right. And so I actually get on Republicans a lot because they say, oh, I'm pro-life well no you're not because i've well, heard you talk about it in the past right and you don't exhibit all pro-life things you exhibit anti-abortion right which is fine you know right. i'm not saying that that's a bad uh that's a bad value right. i think that that is a value that is present in jesus um the value of human life uh, we see a number of times jesus going out of his way to include children mm. or, or raise children, resuscitate them. So I think we do see that in Jesus, but that in and of itself is not make right. you pro-life. That makes right. you anti-abortion. Right. And so these are a couple of examples and we're going to dive into some more in the coming episodes when we nail down uh, more on Republicans and Democrats. Yeah. But I think that uh, this is sufficient evidence to say, hey, maybe we're on to something here. Right. Absolutely. Um, and this um, series m was strategically placed, right? Well, yeah, we're in um, the middle of an election cycle. Yeah. So what we really want through this next these next several episodes is for you to really evaluate your political beliefs. And I, Yeah, I um, think... Um, I think my goal here as the pastor of Wellhouse Church is I want our people I want our people to deconstruct their worldview. Yeah. Because their worldview is most likely made up from their politics and reconstructed from a worldview of the Bible. Now if you end up in the same political party, mm. I don't care. That's right. That's fine. But I want your worldview to be made up by the Bible, by Jesus, by the kingdom of God rather than by your political agenda. Yeah. 